Father, we thank you. You are awesome. We thank you. You've given us Holy Spirit to refresh us, to renew us, to empower us, to be more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you and just say, come and have your way here tonight. Let your words be spoken. Let us experience the love of the Father. Let us grow in you. That the name of Jesus be glorified. We give ourselves over to you. We ask for your anointing presence in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're in Acts chapter 1. And I was really, really tempted to sort of just flip over to the next chapter, even though it's in, you know, the coming weeks' readings. Because Acts 2 gets pretty cool from then on, you know. But as I was reading through Acts chapter 1, God really spoke to me about a, a couple of things that I'd like to share with you. Because it's always a good thing to do, right? We've got to do something about this lighting because I can't read. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he being Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates which the Father has put to his own authority. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Following this passage is when Jesus goes up into heaven. And the disciples, plus a whole lot of others, 120 in total, they actually obey Jesus' command and they go back to Jerusalem. And they go into the upper room where they held the Last Supper. And they gather together and they pray. And they hang out together and they pray. And when you sit down tomorrow to do your Bible reading in Acts chapter 2, you see what happens as a result of them praying and waiting and obeying and doing what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is poured out in power. They start speaking in other tongues. 3,000 people get saved on the next day. That's a pretty cool day, yeah? Imagine starting a church with 3,000 people. What's really funny is they still aren't calling it a church at that stage. And then a few days later, they're heading down to the temple. They're still spending time praying before God, waiting on him. And a guy who's been lame from birth gets healed. Another 5,000 people get saved. That's 8,120 people. That's a good week. Yeah? That's a really good week. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing signs and wonders. They're seeing God move in power. And when you read it, it's sort of like it's, it's one of those things that's sort of out there. And people go, it sounds fantastic, but it's beyond our faith. It's beyond our expectation. And we say, is that sort of thing possible today? 
Of course it is. Because we serve the same God, right? And it says that God is no different back then to what he is today, to what he'll be in a thousand years' time if we all still exist as we are. He'll still be the same God doing the same stuff with the same heart. And he's unchanging. And it says in his word, God's will is that none should perish. In fact, it says one of the reasons that Jesus hasn't come for the second coming is because God wants more people in the kingdom of heaven. And so he's holding off so more people can be saved. So aren't you glad he waited for you? It says he's coming back. But one of the reasons, the main reasons he's waiting is because he wants more people in there. So my question is, if God is so willing, if it's his will that none should perish, but that all be a part of the kingdom of heaven, if on that week 3,000 and then later on another 5,000 people can be saved, if the lame can walk, the blind can see, if that can happen to them, why don't we see that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit today? I mean, what happened on the day of Pentecost impacted that whole city. That's why 3,000 people got saved. Because they all heard the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It impacted that whole city, that whole region. If you go to revival meetings now, where people say we're having a revival... You could walk into any place and say, I'm looking for the revival, and they'd look at you and say, I don't know what you're talking about. There was a, a revival in, in Brownsville, in Pensacola, in the US, a few years back. Amazing move of God. And I had two friends who went over to it, and they got lost. And so they asked a couple of people in the street, and they asked several people, do you know where this church is, where the revival is? People said, I don't know what you're talking about. They saw people being saved. They saw an outpouring of God, but it didn't shake the town. So why, back then, was there such an outpouring? Is it because it's the start of the church? Is it just because Jesus went up and it was something saved for one occasion? Well, my Bible says that we have the same God, who is the same yesterday, today, forever. Does God want more people saved then than he wants now? Of course not. Everything I read says that my God can make this happen right here, right now. So why don't we see that? Why don't we see the outpouring of God? If God is so willing, if he is the same God that is so willing to pour out his spirit, doing signs and wonders and miracles that are so visible and flamboyant that they impact the whole city. Why don't we see that in our lives today? Why don't when you and I walk down the street tomorrow and see someone in a wheelchair, pull them out of that wheelchair with confidence and power and have them walking behind us, leaping and praising God? Why isn't there's such a move of God, an outpouring of his Holy Spirit, that we all start speaking in tongues, that every nationality in this city hears the gospel preached in their own language and comes and is saved. The key to what happened in Acts chapter 2 is in Acts chapter 1. 
Because you see, God is the same. What's different is the people. What did God tell them to do? That 120 people that are there gawking at him going up into heaven. What did God say to them? I'll give you a hint. We read it already. He said, wait. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait until you are clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? First of all, they stood there gawking at him, going up in the heaven, going, where's he gone, where's he gone? And it took a couple of angels to come and go, oi, it's over, he's gone. You can move on now, show's finished. Because you just want to be waiting for that, you know, it's going to be lightning or thunder. Angels going to appear, what's going to go on? And so they went, it's over. So what did they do? They went and got a hamburger, went to McDonald's, went to the beach, headed back to do some fishing. No. They went straight back to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room and they waited. They didn't just sit around and twiddle their thumbs going, anything yet? No. I mean, think about it. How did they know what it would look like when the Holy Spirit was poured out? What did they have to guide them to show them what they were expecting? The only time any of them seen the Holy Spirit poured out was when Jesus was baptised. And he came down like a dove and the heavens thundered with the voice of God. They'd never seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what they were waiting for. And that can be really awkward. Because you're sitting there and you're praying. and Is this it? No. Is this it? Have we prayed for long enough? Have we waited for long enough? Feel any different? No, feel the same. I mean, what are they waiting for? And then eventually, after praying and hanging out together, the Holy Spirit's poured out. As one preacher pointed out, there were 500 people when Jesus came back from the dead. By the time the Holy Spirit and Pentecost poured out, there's only 120 left. Where's the rest of them? Maybe they did go to McDonald's to get their burgers. Maybe they were out fishing and they missed out. But 120 waited for God, waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they let God be God and do whatever he wanted. They weren't self-seeking. They were looking out for each other. Let me tell you this. We're going to do contagious Christianity over this next seven or eight weeks. And if you're not planning on coming, you need to change your mind right now. For two reasons. One, because you already know you should. Because if you were an effective witness, you would have brought somebody with you tonight. Yeah? Fair statement, don't you think? If you were a contagious Christian, you know what contagious means, don't you? It means that when you walk into work and that person sneezes, everyone goes, whoa, and clears out. i got a problem. I'm surrounded by about four RNs. You don't sneeze in my office. They'll diagnose you and kick you out the door quicker than anything else. Stars don't care. Get out. Contagious means that you can't avoid getting what's around you, except by the power of God. So if you are a contagious Christian, then people around you can't avoid catching Jesus. And if you are not yet contagious, you need to come along and learn how to be contagious. 
Because there are certain things that you need to do. You see, we pray, God save them. And he says, sure, how would you like to do that? And we go, no, no, you save them. He says, oh, I will. But you go and tell them. Because he called us to be his witnesses. So come along because you're going to learn how to be a contagious witness and infect people with Jesus. So you need to be there so you can fulfill your Christian walk. The second reason you need to be there is because straight after we've done contagious Christianity, we're going to pray for an hour. Because that's our prayer meeting as a church. And prayer, waiting on God, is the powerhouse of what we do. They saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They saw 3,000 people get saved because they obeyed and did what God said and waited on him. And if you are not seeing the power of God in your life, if you are not seeing signs and wonders, if you are not seeing people saved day in and day out, then you need to get more of God in your life. That's all there is to it. And the only way you get more of God in your life is by not being busier, by not seeing more people, it's by waiting on God. There is no other way. It's in Acts, not just for them, but it's there for us. I mean, Luke did not have to write this down. There is nothing in Acts that we look at and go, you know what, that is vitally important if you take out Acts chapter 1. The rest of it is just a great story. It's not really theology. It's not, this is how you should do church. That's all from Romans onwards. The Gospels, they tell us all about Jesus. Acts tells us how to be effective Christians. That's why it's there. And it starts with one simple thing. Wait on God until... As I thought about this this afternoon... But why don't we wait? It's because we have this thought in our life, we have to be busy. So I googled, are we too busy? And read some fantastic articles. And I was reading one by a lady with the New York Times, by a guy, sorry, the New York Times wrote this article. And he was writing how we have this thinking in our head that we have to be busy. And he said it actually goes back to the Puritans. And the Puritans, when they went into America, he says, they made work a pious thing. Now, we were given work back in Adam. It was, you know, tend the garden and have a good time doing it. And then with the fall, work became by the sweat of your brow. Arg. You know? And the problem is, that it's still become by the sweat of our brow. And we don't, for some reason, we don't consider ourselves spiritual or doing enough if we're not too busy. How are you going? Oh, really busy. Don't tell Dave this, because I work with him, but if I look at half of what I do, if I didn't do it, it actually wouldn't matter. <laughs> you know that? I look through that list of all these things and the emails that come in and all this stuff. And so there's something, there's this tactic I have with some things. I look at them and I go, you know what? I'm going to ignore that for a day. And more often than not, 
it goes away. It solves itself. It sorts itself out. Yes, I'm preaching to myself. My wife's giving me looks over there. We are conditioned to be busy. You know, I have a work phone. So I can be contacted at any time. My question is, why? I think it's run twice in the last nine months. And they weren't work calls. <laughs> maybe a couple more times than that with a couple of work calls. But why? Why would someone need to ring me right now? Is there a training emergency? The DVD for training won't work. We're in Albany. And? But it says that I've got to be busy and contactable and that's essential and so I have a phone. Oh, so you can access all your emails. I have had one urgent email. No, two, sorry. Two urgent emails in the whole time I was there. One I didn't get because I didn't have my phone with me at the time and they fixed it themselves. The other one, I was actually at work at the time and it took me 20 minutes to fix the problem. But see, the world says you have to be contactable. You have to be. You have to be because busyness is a sign of productivity. Rubbish. We're actually busy cancelling courses at the moment. We're not being productive at all. But this is what the world says. And this person writing this article in the New York Times is going, where did this come from? And she's, he's got a friend that moved to France. And, and he emailed her and said, you know, how's life going in France? She says, you know what? It's brilliant. I, I've had enough of the, she lived in New York before, this New York busy life. So I'm in, here in country France. She says, I work about four hours a day. She's a, she's a writer. She says, Take your time to write. I'm producing my articles for the paper I'm writing for. And then, you know, I've got a whole new circle of friends. And we get together every two or three days and just drink coffee. We go to a winery. She says, go swimming. She says, you know what? I think I've written twice as many articles as what I did when I was in New York. And I'm not stressed at all. She says, I thought my personality was driven and, and you know, a stressy type. The person, she says, I've discovered I'm not like that at all. It was just my circumstance. Maybe not that. I've discovered a whole new me. Should I like it? See, we have time to wait on God. We have time if we choose to say that is important. We have time to push into God. You know, I found when I wait on God, I'm actually more productive in less time. I get more done because you get the mind of Christ and you solve problems quicker and you know what's important and what's not. There's something to be said about waiting on God. These guys understood that and they waited on God and they got a whole new set of problems which are great to have. Where do you put 3,000 people for church? Just solve that. Oh no, now there's another 5,000 on top of that. We had 10,000 to the auditorium. Where do we go? So we went to the temples. The only place big enough. And see, when you wait on God, amazing things start happening. People start getting healed. Miracles start to happen. The world starts to change. When you wait on God, you actually find you're more generous. 
what happened. They all started living together, hanging out together, looking out for each other. Suddenly, you know, striving to have that house or that block of land actually became unimportant. Because they started selling them and giving them to the church so they can take care of the poor. Because all that stuff that in life that the world says important and causes us to stress is actually not important. You know, I worked out that if I didn't turn up to my job ever again, I'm going to. <laughs> but if I didn't turn up for the rest of this week, it would actually make no difference to this world. The organisation would still go on. And you know what? I reckon if I could talk about 80% of the people in there and just one of them didn't turn up, it'd still go on. Life would still go on. And I can think of that for just about every job I've ever done. And they're all high-stress, pressure situations. But if I didn't turn up, life would still go on. The sun would still come up and go down again. Because unless you do that, you get around it, but you know. The rain would still fall. The grass would still be green. The world would still go on. You know what else I discovered? If I waited half an hour to do things, the world would still go on. If I spent half an hour with God and waited on Him, the world would still go on. If I took half an hour at lunchtime and went and waited on God and prayed, the world would still go on. You see, we have this thing that we have to be busy to be important. That, you know, it's like a badge of honour. We say it with stress, oh, I'm so busy. Because that makes me important and essential. I've got sad news for you. Someone else can do it. If I was not here, someone else would be standing here preaching. It's as simple as that. You are not indispensable. It's a sad thought, really, isn't it? In some ways. So I figure, what's the point in going through life trying to be indispensable? Because you never ever achieve it. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how much you control. I mean, if James Packer fell off the world tomorrow, we'd still go on. It wouldn't affect any of us. Would it? So why do we chase after things and put our focus on things that are unimportant? When we could wait on God and 3,000 people could be saved. And then 5,000 people could be saved. And people who are lame could walk. And blind could see. And the deaf could hear. And this city could be transformed. Not one by one or ten by ten, but thousands by thousands and for thousands. If the church just became the church and waited on God, what would your world be like? Most people say, I'm too scared to share my faith. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You know what? Neither did the disciples. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus died, their response was to go back to what they knew, which was fishing. They did not know what to do. And then when Jesus showed up again, they sort of went, oh, he's back. And then he said, okay, I'm chuffing off again. See you later. And he gave them one instruction. 
go and wait on me. They actually didn't know what else to do. It was either go wait on God or go back to their old life. And they tried their old life and they couldn't even get that right. Jesus had to come and tell them where to fish. I reckon that was a big part of it. They went out and tried it. I went, you know what? This fishing really stinks. Because when you have experienced God, nothing else will satisfy you. And when you go back to doing what you did before, it's just like this is empty and hopeless and terrible. But they didn't know what else to do. So they went and waited on God and the power of God came on them and then they didn't have any choice about what to do because they just did what the Holy Spirit was doing. So if you don't know what to do to get the people you work with and you live with and you study with saved, it's really simple. Just go and wait on God because he does. He has a plan and it's powerful and supernatural and you won't have to worry about, oh, am I brave enough and bold enough? Because when the Holy Spirit's got you with such power like the day of Pentecost, it doesn't matter. You don't care what anybody else thinks. You just stand up and declare the truth of God. I mean, look what Peter said. He said to them, you killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. You stuffed up big time. And they got saved. That was his sermon. I mean, full on. Because it's not about us. And when you wait on God, you get that. It's not about us. We are irrelevant. Our role in life is to do the will of God. And so when the Holy Spirit is all over you and thousands of people are getting saved, remember that, all right? It's not about you. Because that is God's plan for your life. How do I know that? It's really simple. It's in his word. It's how God starts churches. So I think it's about time we started having a church like God has church. Don't you reckon? Because it's too hard the other way. It's just too hard to do church without God. I don't know how people do life without God. I don't understand that. I grew up in a Christian home and God's always sort of been there. You know what I mean? I got saved at a very young age. I don't know how you do life without God. Who do you talk to? Who do you pray to? Where's the hope? When things go wrong, what do you do? Let me encourage you. Because I have no idea what the rest of my notes is. Let me encourage you. Learn to wait on God. It's a really simple thing to do. You sit down, you worship Him. You know the A, adoration. You know the whole read through the Bible and, and the Acts thing? That's waiting on God. It, it's, it's adoration, it's praise, it's telling God that He really is a pretty cool God. And thanking Him for being so great. The confession, see, it's just getting yourself right and make, allowing Him to wash over you and receive His forgiveness into your life. And then the T, thank Him for that. And then the S, just the request you ask of God. And it's reading the Bible and it's thinking about what that says and what that means for your life. It's doing the soap thing. And it's letting God be God. And rather than you imposing your will on Him, Him imposing His will on you. You know, we get really good at that. I was, I was reminded as I read through that. 
It talks about times and seasons. I can remember times where I've gone to God, God, you know, I need you to do this, and, 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 and I'm so into this thing rather than looking at God. I'm going, this is going to happen, it's going to happen in that time. You know, this person's going to walk in the door, or that person's going to be saved, or this event's going to happen, it's going to happen in that time. And as a reminder, as I read through that, it says, you don't know the, need to know the times and seasons. The word there is actually dates. You don't need to know the dates and times. We just need to know the will of God. The disciples didn't know when God was going to move. They didn't even know how God was going to move. When you wait on God, learn to wait rather than impose. Yes, pray, but learn to be still and let him speak. And Don't limit him. The disciples didn't limit him. They let God be God. Don't limit him. He gave them the Holy Spirit in a way they'd never seen before. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. He'll refresh you every day. But he's going to start doing it in some amazing ways. Because he's God and he knows what you need. Let's learn to wait. Let's pray. Father, there's no substitute for coming and waiting on you, for coming and being a people of prayer. And so we come to you right now and we pray. Help us to wait, Father. Help us to learn how to wait on you. Father, we want to we wanna see thousands upon thousands saved. Lord, it's great seeing ones and twos and fives saved you know, through stuff we do, Father. But we want an outpour of your Holy Spirit. Father, we want to see thousands and thousands of people saved. Lord, those young people who are, who are committing suicide and, and going to hell. Father, people out there with no hope. Father, our friends, our families, those we work with, those we study with. Father, they need you. Help us to be a powerhouse of your Holy Spirit that speaks boldly. To be a powerhouse that lays hands upon the sick and they recover. That we see miracles happen, signs and wonders. That people can't help but be compelled to receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and be disciples of Jesus Christ. Teach us to wait. Help us to be patient and wait on you. Help us to understand the priority of waiting on you. That as we pray, that your will will be done. That your kingdom will be built. That your church will be full. That the name of Jesus be glorified. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.